0: All right, Roman, are we reading Savage Dragon this week or what? I'm sorry, old chum, but I think we have to talk about Ukraine and Russia.
1: Yeah, I thought so too.
2: Two jumps in a week. I bet you think that's pretty clever. It's all too, boy. You kill yourself recognition kill yourself to never ever stop you broke another mirror you're turning into something that you know so don't
0: All right, so look, words cannot even describe the moment that we are living through, much less what the Ukrainian people are living through. Russia has invaded Ukraine almost two weeks ago. More than 44 million people are being impacted, with thousands dead and wounded, and millions more finding themselves fighting and or
1: now refugees. And day by day, the situation continues to get worse, because of course, there are never any winners in war.
0: So before we get into this week's episode, there are actually a number of charities we really strongly encourage you donate to, like supportukrainenow.org, NovaUkraine.org, RasmForUkraine.org, World Central worldcentralkitchen, which is
1: wck.org, and globalgiving.org. And we'll be sure to put those links in the show notes. And while Roman has already talked at length about the current situation on a number of his other podcasts... I love all of my podcasts equally, though. But uh, yeah, links to those important conversations are in the show notes as well and probably worth listening to. So look, our podcast, Quarantine Comics, is not a show about the current moment. This has been a podcast for Roman and I to take a break from the world we've been living through these past couple of years. We know this podcast and the comics we read on it are a healthy distraction at best. But personally, they have helped us get through things through a sometimes intelligent, but always fun conversation with a friend or two.
0: But in the current moment, we decided to look to comic books to try to make some sense
1: of everything going on right now. So in that spirit, we're going to be talking about the Ukrainian and Russian notebooks, Life and Death Under Soviet Rule, written and illustrated by Igor, the award-winning Italian graphic novelist in 2014, and recently translated in English. Rather than try to summarize
0: the books ourselves, here are some excerpts from the official book descriptions. The Ukrainian and Russian Notebooks is a collection of two harrowing works of graphic nonfiction about life under Russian foreign rule. After spending two years in Ukraine and Russia collecting the stories of the survivors and witnesses to Soviet rule, the creator Igor was compelled to bring those stories to new
1: life with in-depth reporting and deep compassion. In the Russian Notebooks, Igor investigates the murder of award-winning journalist and human rights activist Anna Politkovskaya, who spoke out against the Second Chechen War, criticizing Vladimir Putin. Igor follows in her tracks detailing Anna's assassination and the stories of abuse, murder, abduction, and torture that Russia was so desperate to censor. And in the Ukrainian notebooks,
0: Igor reaches further back in history and illustrates the events of the 1932 Holodomor. Little known outside of the Ukraine, it was a government-sanctioned famine. A peacetime atrocity during Stalin's rule that killed anywhere from 1.8 to 12 million ethnic Ukrainians. Told through interviews with the people who lived through it, Igor paints a harrowing picture of hunger and cruelty under Soviet rule. With elegant brushstrokes and a stark color palette, Igor has transcribed the words and emotions of his subjects, revealing their intelligence, their humanity, and honesty,
1: and exposing the secret world of the former USSR. Okay, so this clearly is not some light reading. But it reads pretty fast, so worth picking up. And in light of the current moment, it feels more necessary than ever to read these works. Roman, how did you discover this? And what did you think?
0: <sighs> Honestly, as everything started unfolding, and I think we were literally getting ready to read Savage Dragon, yeah. I was like, I, I don't think I can read Savage Dragon right now. I, I just did some Googling for comics about Ukraine. There's enough graphic novels and graphic histories, fiction and nonfiction, of the world. So there had to be something. And I was surprised to discover this book. It had pretty good ratings and my library had it. So I sent it to Ryan and we just picked it up. And I really, I have a strong point of view that books like this should be required reading. Because not only does it hold a mirror up to society, but comics are an easier way to draw this content in. As I get older, I'm drawn to these kinds of works, be it books like Year of the Rabbit about the Khmer Rouge, Boxers and Saints about the Box Rebellion in China, or even Kent State from our current history in America. Real life is scarier than some of the fiction in, out there. So don't get me wrong, fictional storytelling can be just as powerful and important. But this book was honestly some of the scariest shit I have read in a long time. Maybe some of that's because it's real. Maybe some of that's because you can't look away from the page and the depictions that are shown on TV. I hate to say it, it's, it's you don't have to process it as much. You can look away from it. A screens or prose you can look off the screen but the pictures in on the on the printed page are just staring at you so i and i guess i that sums up how i feel about this it's uh this book i, I read i've read it over the course of the last three nights and it's been sitting with me things i knew about you've heard about chechnya you know that there was a famine and the horrors of it but to hear like these journaled human stories these journalistic accounts one it really makes you think about the world that you don't know but two Ryan, it almost sets a precedent for the the shit show that is happening today. I don't
1: know. what, What did you think, having read this now? So what I knew about Ukrainian and Russian relationships prior to reading this book, you could pretty much, it was nothing, basically. And I still know nothing. And so this book was really useful for me to at least start to contextualize some of the stuff that I'm hearing in the news to understand maybe the historical how how um all of these all of what's happening now is this consistent buildup of things that have been happening over the throughout the twentieth century. Yeah. yeah and beyond. So it's not just a random conflict. It's something that has it's it, it's the this continuous cycle of violence that has happened that Russia has consistently inflicted on Ukraine. So in that sense, this book was just really helpful for me to start to get some baseline understanding of what's happening and why it's happening and why, aside from the obvious atrocities that are happening, why why it's still so historically awful. Um, I will also say I agree with you. This book is profoundly disturbing. It is the most disturbing book we've probably read on Quarantine Comics, and I say that having read, like, Josh Simmons. (laughs) (laughs) And Uzumaki. (laughs) Right, but all of those have that veneer of the the supernatural, right? This stuff really happened. There's nothing supernatural about what's happening here, what's being depicted in these books. So it was incredibly difficult to read at times. Like, I actually had to put it down and uh, give myself a bit of a moment. But it was also again as somebody who's incredibly ignorant of this history it was really really valuable to me to not only start to understand why russia is invading ukraine but to also recognize the, the long historical atrocities that have been heaped onto ukraine by russia yeah and you know this podcast is a love letter to comics
0: and why we love the medium and this this book is this comic the way it's depicted or most graphic novels it's it's accessible like it's like there's a bunch of books about this stuff I could have read there's a bunch of documentaries I could have watched and I guarantee most of our listeners have not read those books and have not watched those documentaries and maybe you haven't read this comic but this comic's easy to pick up the the artwork comic books right there it it injects it into your brain a little faster and and then on top of that these are like narrative stories it's not even fiction these are like short journalistic interviews almost like podcast interviews right that are illustrated and they're short bites especially the ukraine chapter uh, they're short bites you can read in like 15 to 20 pages you can understand one moment of the horror of the famine and then move to the next chapter and read another anecdote and that's It's
1: really powerful. Um, Yeah. I was actually curious your thoughts on that format. So obviously we're outsiders trying to understand a little bit more about Ukraine and Russia. Igor also was an outsider. He's uh, an Italian. He's Italian Italian cartoonist who was visiting, who spent some time in Serbia, Ukraine, and Russia. And so, of course, this is also, even though he's the one conducting the interviews, it's filtered through his perspective. And not only that, it's also filtered through his pen, the way it's. The way he depicts people, sometimes it's very realistic, but sometimes it's very abstracted. He's trying to depict an emotion. And when he does that, he does he's very, very effective at it. But again, it is his interpretation of that emotion. So you're getting all of these accounts remediated through, through Igor, remediated through his pen. Um, I've always been curious about these firsthand accounts that are told by somebody else through their own lens because yeah, mm-hmm. the same thing that we ran into when we reviewed Coomster Gendry Kim's grass and the waiting you have these personal accounts but they're through the lens of somebody who has a point of view
0: yeah but be it fiction or nonfiction, right stories are a powerful medium to communicate something I don't think the story should be the be-all end-all let's use Schindler's list as an example a non-fiction story that Steven Spielberg made into a thing right? It's a, a translation of a real account. Through...
2: But and, but and
0: it's like, you've heard of this thing that happened, something happened, but it's inaccessible, it's distant. And a story is a way to bring it to life in a way that maybe upon reading this, you want to go scratch a little deeper and learn more because now the door has been opened for you. I think stories open doors. And uh, you have to trust that Igor had some journalistic integrity to the stories that he was hearing, maybe they're just stories. Maybe some of the people did exaggerate them. Is he fact checking and getting multiple accounts like a a journalist does? I don't know. But if there's enough witnesses corroborating a story, you start to piece together that this thing is true.
1: Well, I'm not thinking about it in terms of whether it's true or not, whether he got Mm -hmm. all the facts right or not, or whether he verified it or not. What I'm thinking about is that something about these stories touched him emotionally. And if he's just giving that bland account, you would lose something in it. But in filtering it through his own emotion, through his own horror of what these people he's talking to, what they experienced, he's really bringing it to life in a way that might otherwise be lost if it were just strictly a documentarian going about his business, coldly just cataloging these accounts. He's mm-hmm. bringing this emotion into it. He's bringing this point of view into it. He's horrified by it. Mm. And we see his horror in it through the illustrations. Whatever, the, However these people are reacting to the past, they're old. A lot of the people he interviewed are very, very old. And it's hard to know how they're feeling about it. Are they still horrified by it? Or was it just something that happened in the past? And even though it was horrible, they don't have that visceral reaction anymore i don't know igor clearly does and he's bringing that into their accounts and it makes it very very present and it makes it all the more disturbing i would say yeah look this guy clearly
0: has mastered the craft of sequential art storytelling because at times it's the classic six panel and there's a lot of Art and subtlety into how he flows the story there. But at other times, I'm flipping through the page, starting on page 95, the chapter titled In Accordance, where you have these full page spreads which turn into these timelines, which really help you understand the numbers. And it ends page 105, a giant headline of propaganda from the New York Times, believe it or not. Mm, page 106 with the pictures of the children emaciated. And then page 108 and 109 which is stark on page 108 there's two numbers on the page 5.6 million 1928 page 109 almost a shadow 149 000, 1934 it was two, in two pages he communicates what the fuck happened and it's it's a gut punch and yeah. it, it delivers almost like it's this climax of all these stories that have been coming together along the way
1: Yeah, that's what makes it so powerful, isn't it? In a way, he's not really... Sometimes he's telling a narrative, but sometimes it's like these just very visceral images Then he's making you stitch the story together. And in doing so, he's communicating a lot in a very, very little space. In that way, it's almost poetry. He obviously published it probably before 2014. I think it was translated to English in 2014. And it's interesting how prescient... It is like there's this one line where he overhears these people saying Putin's going to invade Ukraine. You see the use of disinformation of the way the Russians successfully use disinformation with the New York Times writer who wrote about the famine, but basically said, oh, yes, they're all well fed. It's fine. And so that disinformation campaign is not a new thing. It It's something that goes back using the Western media to... Get an agenda across is something that seems very historical for the Russian government.
0: Yeah, it's funny. This is actually two notebooks, right? An account of a lot of old history of the famine from the Ukrainians' point of view. And then you jump to the Russian chapter. And it's funny, it was a little jarring because I thought, oh, okay, we're going to spend some time in that era in Russia. But Russia is more about the modern era, and it is very much a repudiation of Putin an examination through the lens of one journalist who was fighting against this regime specifically about accounts of what was happening in Chechnya yeah for the most part and it's Chechnya like I didn't really understand it other than like spy movies they mentioned like Chechen rebels and all these things and even the propaganda of our own entertainment complex and as you piece it together someone who's not as well educated as he wants to be in this this area of the world and what has been happening, to understand like the sheer, I hate to say motherfuckery of what the Russian government was doing to the Chechen people, right? Like it's it's very disturbing. Like the first part is <laughs> I don't know which part is worse, but it's like by the time I got to the second chapter it felt even more real because this is shit that has happened in the past
1: decade. Yeah, so like the first book, the Ukrainian notebook, um it's, you know, really focused on the famine and all of the different angles of that famine from the people who were affected by it, who grew up in it, to the propaganda campaign. Igor presents that this was a manufactured famine for the sole purpose of committing essentially genocide. And then also placing this into a historical context in which because the peasants didn't really want to bend the knee to force collectivism, and then the second book, The Russian Notebook, really focuses on not so much what was going on in Russia at the time, but I guess maybe the way the Russian government has historically that, that this whole thing with Ukraine isn't an anomaly, right? Not that we ever thought it was, but looking at what they did in Chechnya, but it's also using Anna Politkovskaya and her assassination as you know a means of like what the Russian government has tried to do in order to... Control the message and what they're willing to do in order to hide their consistent stream of abuses. And at the same time, there's also, I don't think Igor has this, but he mentions that Anna Polakovskaya does this attempt to understand the people who are committing these atrocities. It's mentioned that Anna, she's, she's empathetic a little bit with the torturers because she wants to understand why they are the way they are. Uh, I don't know if Igor has that similar sensibility or if it's just being reflected through his interpretation of Anna and her work, but this is definitely yeah, definitely taking looking at all of these atrocities from the Russian side and the way it even affects the Russian people. Yeah, yeah,
0: it's it's just it's like this is a notebook or a guidebook to how this guy Putin and his government has chosen to operate.
1: And, and the history that,
0: that drives him also, because if you think of the Ukrainian yeah. notebook, it's Stalin. Yeah, you're right. It's a pattern of modeled behavior, of proven modeled behavior, and with no consequence. Yeah, And again, in that's what's disturbing. The parallels... Uh, the parallels of behavior to media manipulation, to just thuggery, encouraged thuggery by your armed forces... And again, Chechnya wasn't the, the last. If you look at the barrel bomb situation in Syria, that what Putin did, right? So it's like his willingness to fight a certain way is almost a pretext for what we're seeing now and what the worst is to come. We've seen this coming. We've known this is going to happen. We just have chosen to ignore it. And there's longer conversations of why are we paying attention now? Not to get into that, but it's that's why it's so disturbing. Because the writing was on the wall. And to read this book, which was uh, Checking the Front Flap, written in 2010, translated in 2014, 2015 or so, the writing was on the wall. It was right there, guys. We know we knew this was coming. And, and maybe it was just like, did we not prepare enough? Did we not contain enough? Well,
1: did we know it was coming? It feels like a lot of people kept saying, oh, it's probably not going to happen. It was, it was this thing where people were like, yeah, he's going to invade Ukraine. Oh, that'd be crazy. He's not going to do it. But, but, but uh,
0: th- That'd be crazy. But those are people who clearly didn't read the history of it. Like, there's always been this fear that he's going to do something and not to get outside of Russia, but there's other countries in the world that have behaviors and a pattern of behavior that, honestly, this just to bring it to what's happening now, this conflict that's happening now, the world, both good and bad, are paying attention to how Putin is being dealt with and reacted to. You know, yeah. And but I think yeah. I think it's, it's it could be a, not. Never mind the classic World War Three analogies of what could happen. But literally, I think the dominoes that will fall is the the next authoritarian dictator's choices on what he's going to do and what he's going to get away with if he knows what his leverage is.
1: Yeah, I I would imagine that the world's paying so much more attention because the global economy is all interconnected, right? Not to say nothing about social media and the 24-7 news cycle and the fact that everything's being broadcasted at once. But there's a lot of Western companies that had employees in Ukraine. There was a lot of travel between like different parts of Europe and, and Ukraine. So it, it feels like it's happening really to your friends in your own backyard. To a lot of people, it is happening to their friends in, in their own backyard, and it's a much different world. It's a much more connected world now than than during the. the I I only Chechen buy half War. of that though. I only buy what, half. Which of half that, do you buy, and which half do you not buy? Yeah, it's a connected
0: world. The Chechens were most look at Syria. Uh, okay, Syria yeah. was in the digital age. There's there's enough. This is not a fringe point of view, and I'm not trying to do whataboutism. So don't cancel me. Fifty listeners oh, you've podcast, already been can- you've already been canceled Robin. yeah seriously <laughs> but but you raise a very good point we do feel a solidarity with the ukrainian people i feel a solidarity with them i have friends in the ukraine i have former developers from past startups in the ukraine but i feel just as bad for syria but i don't have friends there i've just backpacked through there and got to know those people very well right like you look at what the saudis have been doing in yemen like it's it's in the social media age this shit has been happening and And with Putin specifically, (laughs) never mind Chechnya, like again, and Chechnya, Putin was a total motherfucker there, just straight up. But he was also a motherfucker. And I I don't know, man. It's it's frustrating. Yeah. 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 I can see that as well. You're right. I think a dark silver lining to this is we are awake to the tragedy of Ukraine and we will see what happens with it. But I think, and again, I hate to do whataboutism here, but I think it will shine light on things happening beyond Europe. That now that we have paid attention and reacted the way we did to Ukraine, hopefully when these things happen to other countries by other countries that maybe don't look and feel like Ukraine, maybe we can pay a little bit more attention. This isn't the first time. And to be clear, the US has been complicit about doing some bad things as well. And it, again, it's not whataboutism. The crisis in Ukraine is terrible and we need to solve for it to to bring peace, to stop the carnage. But We need to also bring peace and stop the carnage in other parts of the world, too. We need to take it just as seriously. The moment right now is about Ukraine. And there is precedent for this. There is precedent specifically with what Putin has done in many places. And uh, yeah, I I don't don't know. Like this book really, (laughs) we made the choice to read it right now, given everything's going on. But it hit me much harder. And it activated my mind a little bit more to read these accounts, because it's like, Are we not paying attention to history? Do we really have such a short-term memory?
1: Yeah, I I feel very unequipped to have this conversation. To be honest, my response to Ukrainian and Russian notebooks is very... I'm still working through it, honestly. I'm still working through what I think and what we've discussed on this podcast, because I'm literally trying to work out my thoughts as I'm talking. But, What's
0: a good thing though, Ryan? What's a good thing about that though? You're working through it. Yeah. You're thinking about it now, right? This book made you think about it a little harder. And I think books like this are important for that reason.
1: I feel like a kid giving a book report in a way. Like when your history <laughs> teacher gives you a, a, a book to read, something important, and you process maybe about a tenth of it. Yeah. And if yeah. even that, and you're like, okay, I got to explain it to the class. And that's where I feel I am right now. My understanding of Ukraine and Russia it's coming through the lens of an Italian cartoonist. so Yeah. <laughs> and and not to discredit him or diminish his work or the importance of his work, but he is also an outsider. And so my understanding of still what's going on and even my thoughts on this comic in particular is still, I just feel so rudimentary and, and inadequate to really adding anything to the conversation that's been going on for the past couple of yeah. months but I, I think it's more now than you did
0: before, right? Like, yeah, we, we opened this podcast. We knew the famine and Chechnya were things, but we didn't know enough about it. And we actually probably know more now about what we don't know. But the more, you know, the more you don't know. I think that's a good thing. I, I genuinely do. Uh, and would it be this podcast, this comic book? This i never heard of this comic. This comic wasn't something like Mouse or You're the Rabbit or Kent State, books that we've been hearing about that made the best of lists. There are books now that are, there's New York Times lists that are publishing the books you should be reading. And I don't know if this book is on that list, right? But current events has a way of making you want to, hopefully, if you're intellectually curious, dig into those areas you don't know enough about versus sticking your head in the sand and choosing to not know or, or choosing to not know what you don't know, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, I I, I will say, though, we've all read about different atrocities through history. And this one, if there's any book that's going to make you really, really feel it in an uncomfortable way, in an incredibly disturbing way, it's going to be the Ukrainian and Russian notebooks, the Ukrainian notebooks in particular, because that's the one that deals with the famine. So I I I ask
0: one of our last questions, Ryan. Would you recommend folks read this then?
1: Yeah, I would. Um, it's pretty freaking harrowing, though. And um, the events that are depicted in it, the individual stories of the different people who are affected by some atrocity or the or another, it's it's constant. It's constant, and there is no respite, and there are no heroes. In fact, there is one hero at the end, and what happens to him is pretty ghastly as well. I, to end it on a positive note,
0: <laughs> this book isn't the end-all be-all, right, of Ukrainian and Russian history. The the one thing I have learned that we are observing as we speak on the news is the perseverance of these people, the Russian people protesting in the streets against their government, the Ukrainian people and their leadership just like standing up to a bully and fighting the good fight for all of us. And and there's snippets of that perseverance in these stories, right? The people who dealt with the atrocities, the reporter who's featured in the Russian notebook, these are a tough people who have dealt with a lot and they persevere. And I think that's a good thing. So Ryan, before we end this, I really do want to encourage our listeners, please visit the links in the show notes, donate to the Ukrainian people stand with the Ukrainian people, write a letter to your congressman, keep the Ukrainian people in your thoughts and prayers. But I have to ask our final question. What are we reading
1: next week? Uh, Next week, we're going to go back to your usual comic book stupidity. We are going to be reading... (laughs) We need it. We need it, man. We need need it. it. We're going to be reading uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. We are actually going to be reading the original run of Ninja Turtles, Eastman and Laird back when be when it was an indie comic, and joining us will be another friend of the pod, Pen Genther, who I will say has over the course of reading Ninja Turtles, he's legitimately become a Ninja Turtles scholar. He wasn't before, but the way he has dived into the volumes of Ninja Turtles that we've made him read, he wait has, right, how many of these, how many volumes are we reading? It's just like ten comic books, right? Yeah, no, it's only six volumes. <clears throat> each volume being 300 pages each yes but it reads fast so yeah so next week we're gonna take a trip back to our childhoods and we are gonna talk about teenage mutant turtles heroes in a half shell heroes in a half shell turtle power
2: Two jumps in a week. bet you think that's pretty clever. It's all you, boy. Flying on a motorcycle, watching all the crowd beneath you drive. You kill yourself recognition. Kill yourself to never ever stop. you broke broken of a mirror. You're turning into something that you're not. So don't Just sit there wishing you could still make love. Cause they're the ones who hate you when you think you've got the world, I all-sustain. So